You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week on the show, we have Martha Hall Kelly. She's the author of The Golden Doves. We discuss when breeding a mini poodle and golden retriever, who's on top? How the Reagans plan their week to their horoscopes, researching World War II and creating compelling characters, and how she almost self-published her first book, but then it went to auction at big houses and so much more. Hi, I'm Martha Hall Kelly, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Martha Hall Kelly. Her new book is called The Golden Doves. Martha, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Where, where, where are you? Where are you calling in from on this lovely day? I am calling in from New York City. Oh, really? I'm going to be in New York City in two weeks. What for? Well, I ha- I'm gonna, I'm visiting some friends. I haven't I haven't flown since COVID. This is gonna be like, like I'm so excited. It's my first like because last time I was in New York was in 2019, and I thought I was gonna be there like twice a year, and then now everything went right, and then now I'm gonna be in New York in two weeks for a couple weeks. How I'm so excited. Fun. Where are you coming from? I live in Los Angeles. Oh wow, big yeah. flight. I know that's the that's the bummer. What do you do on long flights? Help me out here. You know, I try and sleep as much as possible. I or can't do that. Read. <laughs> or read. I just, wait, here's what I do. I do panic attacks and watch really bad TV. <gasps> panic attacks? Are you a bad flyer? I'm a, Well, I have anxiety in general, so I, I'm not too much. I, the flying, I actually, I've been doing hypnosis over the years for that. Really? And it's Does worked it work? really well, yeah. Really? Because I have horrible anxiety on flights. I just took one yesterday from Florida and I thought we were going to die. Even my husband, who's pretty, you know, seasoned traveler was like, oh man, it was so bumpy. Oh, it was a bumpy. Yeah. That's bummer. Uh, Cause it's just shaking yeah. your insides. Yes. We had our dog with us and he was shaking. The whole thing was just, and then afterwards the pilot's like, you know, see you later. It's like, did you realize that was happening back there? <laughs> But I guess you got to go through it. A, a bigger plane helps, I think. Were you on a smaller flight? A smaller plane? Very small, like an Embraer Air. You know, the oh, yeah. has like only one um, line of seats on each side. Oh, it's- dear Lord. I don't want to be on that. Because that, that, keeps, that keeps the reality of how close I am to the outside world that's uh, miles above ground. I, exactly. I guess the, I, I have to be in the aisle. And I have to have, I know the food cart's coming. <laughs> so that's my whole game plan. <laughs> the food yeah. cart helps you or is it? That yeah, it like spaces out the time. Oh, that's coming. I'm going to get the cheese plate. What would you, is anyone else <laughs> in this row getting the cheese plate? Uh, <laughs> so it distracts you. I need distractions, but I do the hypnosis tapes that my, I, I'm in therapy every week for many things, but one of them is um, anxiety and one of them is anxiety specific to flying. And so I, by the t- she gives me a tape that's specific almost to like the flight I'm taking and why I'm going. And then, um, um, so right when I get down and sit down, I plop that on. And when it's done, we're already taken off. And I'm just like in a truth. So that helps you. So you don't need yeah. like any kind of narcotics. Oh, no, I'm on narcotics too. Don't get me wrong. 
<laughs> oh, this is in addition to the narcotics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just takes the edge off, let's be honest. Oh, my God. No, it's just, it, yeah, it's, they should just hand out narcotics on those things. You know, it's just like, what do you what do? You do? Oh, oh, fentanyl, that's bad. But we got some. We got some. <laughs> well, I always look at the uh, flight attendants to see if they're freaking out. Yes. Isn't and it? Are, and they know and we're looking bad. at them. Did they did they freak out yesterday on that flight? No. And I said to her, and she got up, you know, during it and was serving stuff. I was like, doesn't this scare you? And she said, well, sometimes, but we knew this was going to be a bad flight. I was like, you couldn't have shared that with the rest of us. <laughs> so she knew it was going to be bumpy, but uh, the rest of us. Would you really want to know before it takes off or would you want to know after it takes off? Because I wouldn't want to know. And then it would be like, Hey guys, we're getting bumpy. Like that's where I want to be. Cause it's like, Oh, we're already an hour into the flight. Well, I can't get off now. Okay. Just be bumpy. I want to know before. And here's why, because otherwise it, I'm wondering, is this coming as a surprise to the pilot? And that is because if they're scared up there and weren't paying attention, then that's bad. But if they're like, you know, it's going to be bumpy, but it's only going to be for, you know, 45 minutes, then I know what I'm dealing with. That you see, that's like a good bedside manner. That's like a doctor going, look, it's a colonoscopy. It'll be bad all night. (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow it'll feel really invasive. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, it's a loss of control too. And I feel like the more information you have, the more control. So that's just my. Do we ever really have control though? Because sometimes I feel like even with all the information, we could still be out of control. But I just want the illusion of control. Oh, the illusion yes. is amazing. <laughs> as long as I feel like I'm in control, it's good. Yes. That's why we're writers. We want to tell our stories. We want to have, we were the God of our stories. Can, can we also be the God of the stories around us and everyone else's point of view around us? Wouldn't that be nice? I would love that. Yeah. I think we'd lose the human condition though. We'd lose the struggle. You're so deep, Tony. I don't no, know. no, oh God, no, no, no. Like, I, I'm going to have more kombucha so I can get dumb. <laughs> I can't keep up with your your depth. No, the, um, the uh, but it's interesting that we look at the flight attendants and I know they know that we're looking at them, right? Do they, so, I mean, the, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. But it's not, it's never that bad unless they have them strap in. And that's when I get really nervous. It's yeah. like, uh-oh. Yeah, but they love it. There, at one time, I talked to a flight attendant on a JetBlue flight, and he said he thinks of it as a cradle that rocks back and forth. He likes it when it's bumpy, and I've tried oh. to have that point of view, but it, I don't know, still doesn't work for me. Wait, but that makes so much sense because our whole lives are reframing things, like reframing our anxiety and realizing that. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, this, you know, we're in f- flight or right mode or whatever but let's reframe it to what the situation really is we're in we're in very good hands yeah reframing is such a good tool if you can do it you know i need to be on a bigger plane though in order to reframe yeah if if, if you can if you can spread your hands out and reach both windows i'm not (laughs) i am not happy not happy (laughs) but that particular airline that you can take your dog on um is you know they only fly those little planes because now oh. it's hard to get your dog on flights. 
because on JetBlue though you can pay an extra 120 and uh, they they you can put him under the crate I think under the seat. Well, but he's too big to go under the seat. Oh, okay. What kind of dog do you have? He's a mini golden doodle. A mini golden doodle. This but he's not so mini. He's like 45 pounds. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't that's like golden retriever plus poodle? poodle. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Actually, miniature poodle and go really? regular golden and a mini uh poodle. Yeah. You ever wonder what the sex of his parents were? Like like the actual <laughs> act of sex? Like, oh, like who was on top and who was on bottom? And I think he was artificially he, he, artificially inseminated. Oh, there okay. was because they showed us the dad. They brought him out on a little pillow, uh-huh. and he was this like elderly poodle named Chewy. Aww. Yeah, and they brought him out, and Ollie, our dog, had no clue who who he was. He had never met him, but the mom, of course, he he knew she was a regular golden and so um it led us to believe that you know it well first of all a regular size golden could not have mated with a little tiny poodle the size of chewy so we knew yeah. something <laughs> yeah. so, so i knew yeah that's um what a great way to live out your days though i would love to be the guy that's just like they just they just they just keep milking me uh, it's oh, there's the elderly Chewy? man. He Are comes you like, jealous of Chewy? I am. I'm the the father. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like if I'm in my like late 80s, early 90s, and that's my gig. I'll know yeah. I have. I I'll know I have won at life. Not so bad, right? Yeah. Again, okay. <laughs> Chewy, rest in peace. Oh, did he die already? Well, I'm assuming he was on his way out. Back oh, out. okay. They're like, yeah. <laughs> this is getting so dark and dirty. I didn't mean to get this dark and dirty this fast. Oh, didn't you, Tony? I don't know. Ah, uh, it just so- it's fun though. It's fun just to talk. Yeah, exactly. No, it's. I think I'm just so excited that I feel better because I was sick for like a day and a half, and it was just like last night was just fever guy, you know. So I'm it like, sounds like your fever has broken though, so that's good. And then, and then there's a, and I was talking to a friend of mine and she was telling me, she's like, isn't it great when we feel better that how grateful we are of our health? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't even feel a hundred percent, but I'm so excited right now because the health is coming back. It's the contrast, right? Like you don't realize how good just walking around is. Yeah. Unless you've been, you know, vomiting or something. Yeah. And yesterday was like our last like 70 degree day. And I was all excited. I was going to go hiking and then I was going to go see a band and it's just like out. Your last 70 degree day? What do you mean? Oh, and then now we're back into our rain. We've been having the greatest winter in Los Angeles. I don't know if you've been following, but like our winter here has been awesome. It's been cold. It's been awful and rainy. Oh, yes. It's been awesome and rainy. Yes. But what about that song, It Never Rains in California? I don't understand. I don't need, well, I grew up in San Francisco, so I'm very used to fog and cold and dreary. Oh. And, I'm, and I've always, like, I'm like, man, this would just be paradise if we could bring San Francisco weather to Los Angeles. And since like November, it's been San Francisco weather in Los Angeles. And I've just been like dancing. That. I have been dancing around. Everyone hates my guts here. Yeah, because they want sun. Yeah. It'll be back. It'll be back to, you know, sunny all the time. Yeah. And then I'll be, and I'm all excited to be in New York. I'm just like, cause what's cool about it is like, if usually if I do something like go to a colder climate 
and I'm in Los Angeles and it's like 80 degrees forever. And then all of a sudden it's, you're in straight up 50. I'm, I'm going to get sick for a day or something. Cause it's just like, my body's not used you're to gonna, it. You're going to be in hog heaven. You're going to love it. Oh man. Yeah. Where are you, where are you staying in New York? Do you live in New York? No, you do. You? I, we have an apartment. Yeah. Oh, where at? Upper East side. Oh, that's where I'll be staying. 90, really? 90, 90, oh, at my apartment? Yeah, no, at your apartment. No, I didn't tell you, um, but I talked to your husband and we've already- the Doorman whole... has the keys. Where on the Upper East Side? Well, you can't really say probably, right? Yeah, or I people... could say. I don't care. They'll, 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 they, 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 if they, if the, I have enemies, it'll be on 90, uh, 92nd and 2nd. So. 92nd and 2nd? Yeah. You have enemies? I can't believe that. <laughs> How how could anyone be an enemy of yours? Uh, there's there's deep layers here. <laughs> you have enemies, don't you? You you, you got to have haters. Well, You're not doing it right if you don't have haters. Is that right? Yeah, Maybe I, I need so. to acquire some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm a pleaser though. I really try not to. I I had a therapist once that said, um, Martha, not everyone is going to like you. Yeah, and I that that gave me a lot of anxiety though. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. You know, I I know I barely know about astrology, but I'm taking astrology classes right now. What is your sun sign? Uh, my what sign? What's your sign? Your sun sign? Oh, I thought you, my sun sign. Is that just your regular sign? Yeah. I'm a Gemini. Gemini. Okay. Interesting. I say okay, like I know, but I'm. Only, and then there's the moon, and then there's your moon and your your rising. And I, we had this whole discussion last week because I'm a cancer and I'm just like, I, I don't feel like a cancer. I hate myself for being a cancer. I got all of this, you know, because cancers are just shells, right? I don't, I don't feel like a shell. Guy. Really true, yeah, I don't know. But the, the way she explained it, I was like, oh, it's true. So because oh, really? she talked about my moon sign and the moon sign is actually very close to the power of the sun sign. And then so it's once you put the whole chart together, then it makes more sense. I'm yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if you believe in astrology. I don't know if I believe in astrology, but I'm not. A, I'm not skeptical about it. I'm just taking classes because I'm totally intrigued. So. Yeah, I don't know about astrology. I I believe in mediums and oh yeah, you know, speaking to you know the other side definitely. But I don't know about astrology. I feel like it's fun, you know, to read your horoscope. But um, I, you know who was way into it is the Reagans, right? Oh, were they? astrology big time yeah oh. nancy and ron they they you know kind of planned out their their week by astrology that's a little sure. too crazy i think yeah but think yeah. about it. he was the president yeah he's just like let's nuke russia oh no no there's <laughs> going to be an asteroid shower okay so he puts the red he takes his finger off the red button <laughs> No, no, wait. Maybe. I don't know. Chiron is trining with Saturn. Stop. <laughs> they were weird anyway, but whatever. That's funny. Um, I, what I mommy, Which was weird. What's that? He called her mommy, which I always thought was weird. Oh, that's I really gross. Yeah. Mommy. Yeah. That's mm. too weird. Yeah. That's I mean, like... people do that, but. Like, I don't think you call your lover mommy or your, or your wife or it's. Well, but you know how some people say, you know, I talked to mother the other day and they're talking right. about their wife. Uh, yeah. But I anyway. would do that. Oh, that's weird. That's creepy. I know. I know. Yeah. 
because that's my partner in crime and I, but no, I don't have kids, but like if I had a partner in crime and we had kids, then I'd be like, you know, our kids, my partner in crime. We, you know, I was the elderly poodle that came over one day and she, like, <laughs> Chewy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm, am, did you say I'm your first interview for this book? Yeah. Wow. Because it comes out. Well, it's going to, it'll, when this airs, it'll already be out, but we're getting it early. So. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah April 18th, it comes out. Yeah. Um, so it came out yesterday. Wow. Yes. That's great. Matter of fact, it was yesterday. Yeah. What was the opening event like? <laughs> Super great. Where, where, um, where is I, your opening event? It is in Cranston, Rhode Island. Actually, I know. I'm, doing, I'm doing a virtual uh, opening event, a launch event uh, the night before the book comes out with my daughter, who's a TikTok star, Mary Kelly. Mary oh, Elizabeth. wow. Yeah. So I just got off with her. She's, you know, we're going through what questions she's going to ask me. Oh, that's cute. Daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, I think, really fun, you know, because she knows me pretty intimately. So that's first. And then I do an event. Um in Cranston, Rhode Island, that kicks the whole thing off. It's going to be really fun. I know exactly where Cranston is. You do? Yeah, I've been to Providence and um, yeah, and all through there. I like Rhode Island a lot. It's cool. I do too. I like their <clears throat> coffee milk. The the coffee milk. I didn't know that was a thing until about three years ago, and then I found out it was a thing because I I was dating someone at the time who would always make that when she lived in L.A. at the time, and she would always make that, and I was just like, well, that's cute. And she was from Rhode Island. And then we were at Rhode Island. We were in Rhode Island. And I'm like, do you know everyone makes that coffee drink you make? And she's like, wait, what? And I'm like, do you understand that's not a California thing at all? And she's like, it just didn't dawn on her at all that not everyone did this. So, Yeah, coffee milk's really good. Did she or does she have a, a Rhode Island accent? Yeah. Um, it, when It's one of those when you get them relaxed. They, the Rhode Island comes out. It all comes out. I know. Yeah. I'm from Massachusetts. And uh, yeah, when I go home to Martha's Vineyard, it's it all comes out. They used to call yeah. me Marty. Mar- Marty. And, yeah. you know. Marty? Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But when I go home, it all, yeah, it's true. What was it like growing up? I mean, because it's so beautiful in New England. I don't even know what, what growing up in New England would be like. I just see frolicking in ice and snow frolicking in the spring i see lots of frolicking there was no frolicking tony it was okay. much more you know um a lot of schoolwork no we frolicked you know back then it was a lot um uh there was a lot more nature involved now it yeah. feels like you know everyone keeps their kids inside because they're worried they're going to get kidnapped or something but back then we used to play in the woods and do all sorts of fun stuff but do you think oh go ahead well oh we'll get back to that but do you think that's kind of being overprotective because even when you know even in the 70s and 80s there were kidnappings and there was really bad stuff going on with kids but we still just took off and then came home at night and we used to run behind the um like the insecticide truck that would like spray for Yeah, and you look back and go, well, did that have something to do with you know why DDT? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but I don't know if it was overreacting. I mean, for with my own kids, I was the same way because um, 
you know, nowadays it's just not as free. You know, the other day I was looking at some pictures and um, my husband's mom um, was pregnant with him in a photograph and was, you know, having like a cocktail and a cigarette. And that's just the way that it was. You know, they didn't How kind you of can, understand. Yeah. How can you relax when you're pregnant without a cocktail and a cigarette? Well, naturally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do think that back then, you know, you let your kids go out and play and, you know, they, they didn't realize, you know, the danger that was, you know, down the block, maybe. Then that well, started happening. Yeah. Or maybe... Because because there are I feel like maybe our communities were clo more closer tied. So even if we didn't know, even if we didn't weren't friends with our neighbors, they would always be like, oh, yeah, that's the Duchesne kid. If they saw me bopping around five blocks away. So there's yeah. there's a little there was more of that and less of just looking at our phone and nobody's looking up to see what's yes. going on. Yes. Yes. We're also siloed now. Yeah. We're all in our houses just doing our thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're exactly right. And the moms used to get together and you know, have a little drink at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon sometimes. Or it's three o'clock somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it seemed like that was, you know, there were a lot more moms just is hanging out at home, but yeah. now everybody's working. You know, it's just a different thing. Yeah. Do you think that's a good thing if we're all working? I don't know. Oh my God! You're, these are the hard questions. Oh, you don't have to answer any questions. You go, Tony. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, you, no, you could go, Tony. That no, next. No, I'm, I'm fine with that. Oh, but okay. I, I don't know if it's better or worse. I think it's way better for women because oh. um, I was just doing a blog post about plastic slip covers. I don't know. You may be too young to remember. Oh, I remember. Those. Yeah. Yeah. And how uh, bizarre I thought they were. We had an across the street neighbor that slip covered all of their living room furniture. And I just used to think, why do that? Like, you can't even touch your actual furniture yeah. ever. It's just like yeah. encased. And I thought, you know, women had maybe not enough going on in their lives. You know, they were so obsessed with, will someone spill tang on my sofa <laughs> now, you know we're we're out working we're doing more stuff I, th I i remember my mother was um really really smart and i felt like she could have been like a cpa or something and she never really worked and i think that always was you know made her sad so i oh. think it's much better now because women can do what they want to do you know to an extent um right if you want to go out and work, you can do it. Back then, you know, it was just kind of frowned upon weirdly. Oh, huh, yeah. Like the, <clears throat> the farmers always felt like they had to be, you know. Right. And there was that ego like, involved too. Ego thing. Yeah. 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 At least in my family, that's a little bit how it was. Plus, you know, somebody has to be at home and deal with the goings on of, you know, a family. Yeah. Now I feel like, um, uh, couples are so much better at um making it more equitable now i could be wrong because i you know my kids are grown but it feels to me like like on this plane ride from hell yesterday there was a, a couple with a baby and i thought you know um how wonderful it was that he was the dad was taking care of the baby the whole flight and I thought, you know, back when I was little, you know, that would not have been happening. It would have been like the mom doing everything. Um, so I do think, you know, it's 
it's good that it's changed. He would light her cigarette for her. Oh my God. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. But you I'll, know, I'll, I'll help you out there, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but even smoking, the whole thing has changed. I remember my mom, um, or I'm writing my next book is about my mother. Um, she grew up on Martha's Vineyard during World War II, and that's I was she's passed away, but I was talking to her best friend who's 95 or something about my mom and you know all the stuff on Martha's Vineyard during World War II. And she was saying, Oh, your mom used to tell me, How are you going to succeed in business if you don't smoke? Everyone smokes. And I just thought, Wow. And my mom died of emphysema, which is, you know, so sad when you think about that, that she started smoking because she thought that it was going to make her more successful or something. And, um, you know, it, it seems like it, the whole idea of smoking has come a long way. Because that's how the advertising kind of made it, too. It's just like, hey, you want to be your own woman? Virginia Slims. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, and it's just like, and you hear that enough times, and you're like, yeah, I want to be my own woman. Yeah. I think I smoked I a Virginia Slim once, and I was just like, this isn't bad. This is fun because there's, like, not a lot of commitment to it. It's so slim. They're skinny. Yeah, yeah. they're slim. Anything yeah. slim is, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Jim. And what? Slim Jim. You know, anything. Oh, slim. right, right. Slim Jim, like processed food. That's <laughs> right. Just... Slim Fast. Think about that name. Yeah. Yeah. Thigh Master. Oh, we can keep going. Let's just throw references out there. Thigh Master. <laughs> You're working on another book on World War II. What what's what what draws you to World War II? What what intrigues you about that? You know, I feel like it's unfinished business a little bit. Um, I love that generation, and um, I just think that it's infinitely fascinating. My first book, Lilac Girls, um, I wrote that in 2016, and I figured I'd just self-publish it. And it became this like weird phenomenon. It made the New York Times list, you know, the week it came out. So I wrote two more books after that, and they were both about that same family. And so this book is my um, my first foray back into World War II. Um, since that original debut novel that made such a, a splash. And it was so great getting back into it because there was a lot that I had researched for the first book that I was kind of keeping in my hip pocket that I never got to fully, um, you know, delve into. Like the, um, I don't know if you know about Colonial Dignidad, the um, the Chilean, uh, it, this book is about Nazis and um, the ones that um, escaped on the rat line. And how they never, you know, got justice. And um, a lot of those Nazis that came down from Germany through Italy and left um, on the ships for South America, they ended up in places like Chile, where they created these sects, these secret um, camps where they did all sorts of terrible things. There's a wonderful Netflix series right now. It's about, almost like they brought their Nazi culture to, to South America. That's exactly what it's it is. So it's so terrible that, to laugh at that, but it's so horrible. It's like, it's like, like it's so horrible. And this yeah. guy brought an orphanage with him full of kids. And that's what I based, um, you know, my orphanage 
in um, South America and in the Golden Doves. So, um, so yeah, I had all this stuff from my first book that I I really wanted to dig into, especially the rat line. I, I thought that the rat line was fascinating. How all these men came down um, from Germany and escaped um, prosecution. So the minute COVID was over, my husband and I went to Italy and we. Um, recreated the rat line and we started up in uh, Bolzano in northern Italy and where they used to hide and the Catholic Church was very involved in it and the American government too um it but, doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> right yeah. but, but you know what when you're there on the ground and yeah. you're realizing that the Catholic Church hid Nazis in monasteries in Italy to you know um so they could you know, dress as monks to wait for their passage from Genoa over to South America. I mean, it was, it was so weird. And then yeah. we took the same train that a lot of the Nazi fugitives took from Bolzano down to Rome. And in Rome, um, oh my God, that's where it really, there was one bishop, Bishop Udall, who um, actively helped the guys um, get passage to South America. So it was really interesting, you know, tracing that route line. What was um, your first book? You were going to self-publish it. And then what happened where you realized you had something more? Did you like, did you, were you going to submit it to like agents first and go, let me just give this long shot a, let's just see what I got. That's exactly right. Cause I thought, you know what? I've never written anything. I I, I didn't understand the publishing world at all. And I still I, don't. Do you, I, do you understand it yet? Because I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> kind of. Well, yeah. way more than I did back then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no one really tells you. You have to kind of learn through, yes. you know, this and that. But yeah, um, but yeah I figured no one's going to care about this. This is my little passion project. It took me 10 years to write. And then by the time... Um, and I sent it out to, um, agents, you know, I was a copywriter, so I knew how to write like a blurb. So I sent it out to agents like five and I got three offers of representation. It was wow. crazy. I know. And I sent it out during Christmas. Cause my husband said, you know, you got to send this out. Cause I was so obsessed. And I said, well, but it says that, you know, online that you're not supposed to send it out during the holidays, and, you know, in publishing, everybody leaves in like October for, you know, the holidays. And this was like right before Christmas. And so um, I sent it out anyway. And I got a call from an agent who um, was like crying and saying she was at her husband's bedside. Um, He had had surgery and she had just finished my book and really wanted to represent me. And I was like, what? This is not how the you know, the blogs say it should happen. So I, I didn't end up being, you know, going with her for representation. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I was going to ask you now. If, now, if uh, if an agent reads the whole thing and cries and you don't go with her, mm-hmm. what? That's karma. <laughs> What's that? That's karma, but I did. That's like jumping on a crack and breaking your mother's back. No. Yes. What, so what was the... How what was the agent you went with and why why did you feel that this was the person you vibed with? A few more came through and um what a lovely problem. What an amazing problem that because that's stressful. People don't understand that's a hugely stressful time because you're like, wait a second, 
I'm putting my, yeah, okay, now we got here, but now I put my fate into the hands of these people that I got to figure out who's going to represent it right. Huge, huge. Yeah. yeah. To get any representation. I was just like, I, I honestly thought I'll just self-publish this and like my friends can read it and stuff. So um, Alexander Machinist, my wonderful agent um, said, I'll represent you, but uh, you need to go back and do some work because uh, and no one else had said this. They wanted to just publish it kind of as is. And she said, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. And I have read since I was 12 years old, every Nazi memoir trying to figure out why. Why did they do this to the Jews? And she said, the, the women in your book are Catholic. They're, you know, they um, are not Jewish, but show me through the Herta character. Herta was um, the only female doctor at Ravensbrück, which was an all-female camp. And there were a hundred doctors there, but one female doctor. And she did these surgeries, like experimental surgeries on these women. And she said, show me through the Herta character, how she became kind of sucked into national socialism. And um, when you do that, you resubmit it to me and I'll go wide with it. And so I thought, you know what? I think she's right. And so yeah. I did that, it, which was kind of a scary year because I didn't have a contract or anything. And so I, I sent it back to her and said, here it is. And she was like, great. After she read it and said, you know, I'm going to send it out. And they did. And, and so that went to auction, which was super fun. And I got to choose which of um, which of the publishers I wanted for my editor. Wow. It was terrifying because I thought I was going to have to sell them. And then my my agent was like, no, they're going to sell you on why they should publish your book. So that was pretty <laughs> that amazing. Was so beautiful. It was so fun. Oh. Yeah. All no. because I discovered this true story when I went to a house museum once. You know, it was such a random, crazy Well, not thing. just that. You discovered the story and then you spent 10 years on it. You know, good point, Tony. Yes. Yeah. I forgot about that part. But yeah, but I thought oh, I don't, I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know anything about World War II. Um, you know, and the not knowing how to write a book part, it took a lot of research. Like I would write, read how to write a novel books at night and then wake up in the morning and write, you know, from the like chapter the night before. So it took me a while to get it down, but I don't know, I guess it worked. Did you also take classes and workshops and stuff? No, no you just went for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's great. Well, I think I've read every how to write a novel book. I, I think uh -huh. I kind of have like 65 or something. What is, so what like is, what? I had really good teachers, Um, you know, some of the best from those books. What was, what's one, what's a couple of your favorites where you're just like, you know what, those are the ones that got me in. I really like the first five pages. Um, I wish I had. The oh, author. the book's called the first five pages. The first five pages. Okay. Yeah. And it's yeah. written by an agent who um, talks about, you know, here's what you have to do to get a book published. That's that's more about the book publishing, but it's also about the nuts and bolts of you have to, within the first five pages, and I, I would say it's actually less than that, grab the reader. You know, it's all the things we know about, but um, yeah. it bears repeating. I also really like Saul Stein. He um, has a whole bunch of books. I have them all on every, you know, iteration from um audiobooks to kindle um, why have i not heard of him 
He's kind of just like the cranky grandfather of. Oh my God! Why have I not heard of him? I love cranky grandfathers. <laughs> you it's do? Oh yeah! It's all oh my God! He's he was really my first love. Um, and who else do I really really like? Um, there's this um, series of it's the Red Sneaker writing something but i i've been listening to his books lately and they're actually really really good i don't love the red sneaker part of it but i like it um uh he's he's got really good advice so i keep reading them um you know i i think no matter who you are no matter if you have an mfa or whatever i think you know you can always learn something and every time i read one of those books you know the the good ones i i learn something yeah, because each book is different, you know. Each story has to be told in in a different way. So I think that, you know, if I keep reading the first five pages, it's you know, it, I get something different for, from each book out of it. And I find some of the hardest decisions to make is how do I enter, when, and how do I enter this story, and that can take me months yeah. of work. So when I yes. go, oh, wait, here's where it enters. Right. And, and once it, you get that down, that's like yeah. the key that opens the magic box. It's, don't you think? Yeah. And then it, then, then I'll like, and then I'll finish a draft and I'll be like, oh crap, I did it wrong. But you had to finish the whole draft and get In to order the end. To know? And really? then that that's for me, and then I, yeah. And then I get, cause I get to know my characters more and I get to know my, what I'm trying to say a little more. And I didn't even know what I was, I'm on like the 15th draft of this. I hope this is the last draft of this novel for almost uh, two years here. And, wow. and I, I pulled out of it and I'm like, oh, that's what I was trying to say. Well, I had no clue. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was like a, just a sex comedy romp, but it's not, it's about love. What? A wonderful insight though. Yeah. Do you, do you outline for you, right? Not really. Um, so you're a pantser, for, they say. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, that, that was my stripper name, actually, for a while. Really? Pantser? Um, Tony Pantser? <laughs> <laughs> and now, give it up for Tony Pantser. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Hey, we thought it was girls. No, no. I got <laughs> You'll be so, a big hit. It's such a disappointment. Clear the bar. <laughs> um, Take I, it off. Yeah, for actually, even for uh, screenplays, I I play for a while before I start to re- and then and then I'll start outlining and go. Oh wait, I got to get here. I know where I got to get, but yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get there. So. That's the hardest part, don't you think? I mean, mm-hmm. once you get that work done, it really can be smooth sailing. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. I don't have smooth sailing. Like you like, I I ever? think it's. No, I got some. I uh, usually my smooth sailing days are when my smooth sailing weeks are when I'm so disgusted that I'm working on this thing that I hate the book. It's a really bad idea, and I'm still working on it. And I keep showing up to it, and that's when I have epiphanies. And I know oh, I'm going to have oh, epiphanies, yeah. so I got to keep showing up when, on those days where it's just like the worst. <laughs> I'm like, can't I just work in a coal mine? This would be so much easier. I'll be the canary. I'll be the canary. And then like a week later, I'm like, I'm not working in a coal mine. Okay, let's keep going. That's so interesting. 
But I might be doing it wrong because that's just I I sound torturous and I like your I like your way better. <laughs> I think I think you're putting yourself through a lot of pain unnecessarily, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know if it was yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right about that. Um, because the book I worked on before this was dealt with a family tragedy that I worked on for about two and a half, three years that I just had to shell because mentally I can never write that book. It's just like that's done, mm-hmm. can't write it. Uh, worked on it for way too long, tried to get a light tone to it. Can't get a light tone. I don't want to be the guy that's weeping, you know, so I'm done. Um, but they say the most personal is the most creative. So, Yeah, I don't know. My first book was very personal because it was about me. So it was so that actually, yeah. I mean, I feel like this book's personal too, but it's not me. So, but it is me. Everything's us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what people don't realize. It's yeah. like, what else are you talking about? You know, you only have your own stuff to reference. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I try to, sometimes I get this idea where like, oh, the, I hate that guy and he's going to be a character. And I'm like working on him and working on him because I'm, I'm going to get him. That guy ever reads this book, he's going to know it's him. And then, and then, but then all of a sudden this transformation happened because I'm working with this character for so long. I know the empathy. I know the backstory. I know why this person got to this way. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, no, all I do is love this character. And it was, <laughs> I wanted to hate him and I wanted everyone else to hate him. That's wonderful, though. Yeah. Wow, you have a lot of epiphanies. <laughs> I'm having epiphany envy. It's wonderful. No, it's not good. It's probably, I mean, you know, it's like, I, yeah, it probably matches my panic attacks. I'm trying to have less of both. But, you know, I think you have to, anxiety, I think, fuels a lot of writing, good writing. You know, if we didn't have anxiety, we'd just be like lumps sitting around. So it's the the whole idea, I think, is to just use it. That's all. Use it for, you know, in a productive way. Because so often anxiety can lead to like paralysis or, you know, I don't even want to say the word, you know, writer's block. But um yeah, I well, think do you, do you believe in writer's block? Because I I, I kind of don't believe in it. I think you just keep doing the work. You may not write for two months, but you keep sitting down on that page. Yeah, but you're, you're still working. Yeah, I believe in it definitely. Yeah. I I think a lot of it is um the what you're working on, and yeah. a lot of times if it's not right that is what's blocking you, if that makes sense. Um, oh, for, yeah, yeah. If there's not enough conflict in a scene, yeah. um, oftentimes I'll go, you know what? I think I'm having trouble writing this because there's just not enough conflict. So I'll put more conflict in or try to work it so there's more conflict. And then if it doesn't work, I just get rid of the scene because yeah. it's not, life's too short to be like, you know, obsessing over something that just isn't going to work. And it's so easy just to go, okay, next, what's better? And usually it's way better. But I've, sometimes we get dogged, right? We want to make it work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. And then I, yeah, I, I get dogged all the time. But I, I also think that when, um, when we're writing scenes that don't work and we're struggling and they don't make it into the final cut, um, I feel like they needed to be written for some odd reason. I feel like there was a necessity to oh. to to play there and go, that doesn't work. But we also have more of a relationship with our characters or now we know what they won't do or 
you know, they just they're just standing in a room like one of those uh, avatars that just kind of sit there in 3D games and do nothing. It's just right. like, OK, uh, I couldn't get that, but I needed to sit there in his head or her head for a while. And, That's a really good point. So maybe it isn't writer's block. It's just like your brain figuring shit out. You know? Yeah, because there's days where you, I, I mean, there's days I can kick out 4000 words and I'm like, whoa, and then there's just days of like. And that's a hundred. <laughs> See, I don't keep track because that that's anxiety producing for me. If it's like it was, somebody was saying, I can't remember the number of words, but they always like to write X number of words. I I just don't know. I, I don't do that. I, I just do it. Well, what I, I handwrite all my first drafts. And so then oh, I have to do. type them in. So that's when I'm typing great. it in. That's when I see what's what I kind of gauge. Oh, wow. Okay. That was, you know, 10 pages. That, whoa, uh, I didn't realize I did that much today. Oh, but, that's great. Yeah. I love it's that. It's the long way. I mean, it's, I don't know if you handwrite. It's the better way. I, I, yeah. I think that's the best way to do it because you're really editing when you're typing it in, in a way. But, yeah. It just feels like I the first relationship I have to have with the scene is on a yellow pad. A, really? a yellow pad that means nothing that's not precious. <clears throat> it's, it's it, funny isn't it that's yeah. like a thing um which is great because the minute you get that pad out like your brain starts getting positive you know stuff going yeah yeah if they ever stop making yellow pads i'll end up just working at trader joe's oh no and make more money of course they will never <laughs> they will <laughs> never they'll never stop making yellow pads i i use white actually do you yeah so do you, you handwrite your first drafts too an important scene, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know, for some reason, it's just, it comes out more fully formed than if you're just typing it into a computer. But I do both, actually. You know, it really uh -huh. depends. Sometimes I feel like in order to get a draft out, you just have to write it and then go back. And, you know, they talk about the shitty first draft. Yeah. Then go back and like fill it with all, you know, layer it with all the wonderful stuff. So, you know, I do that, but I also, if I know that there's a scene, like I'm going out on a book tour for two weeks, I'm going to bring my pad with me and the whole time, whether I'm in an Uber or wherever, you know, write longhand um, when I'm doing that. And, and then I'm home, I can just transpose it all. Yeah. And it's, and, and you're also staying in touch with the heart of being a writer when you're being presented in front of people. So, you know, cause it's such a, um, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I haven't been in a, in a way where I was wanted as a writer for quite some time, but when I was, and they wanted me to, you know, uh, read at city lights and read at this and read at that. And after a while, I was like really getting into myself. I'm going, yeah, I, I am the biggest. Yeah. What's up? That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, and I'm not writing and I'm just like, let's all go drinking, you know? And <laughs> you know what? That's really interesting. Cause yeah, that's what happens. I mean, with any kind of notoriety, don't you think, whether it's yeah. writing or acting or yeah. yeah, you start to kind of go, yeah, actually, you know? Uh, so I, think that's a real challenge too on top of everything else you know on top of writing the next book it's also dealing with all of that and social yeah. media and it, it gets it gets complicated so I think balance it's all about balance and flexibility and the process and this is what I've understood more and more over the years it's like I the process is everything the outcome um, the outcome is great when it works well 
And it's, you know, and if it doesn't work well, that's fine. That's just an outcome. It's, but the process of me, of me hitting the page again today or tomorrow, that's the only thing I have control over. And that's the thing that I have to utterly embrace and go, you know, and it's sometimes with my friends when we have like, you know, three hour lunches, um, or just sitting there sucking coffee and it's in the middle of the day. And I just go, do you realize what we're doing right now? We're not in an office. So many people are in offices right now working and we just got to sit here and do this. And we're going to go home and work on our books for a little while. And then maybe watch some Netflix. Who has this life? This <laughs> it's pretty, it's a pretty nice life. Although pre COVID, I used to be like, Oh, I get to sit at home in my pajamas and work and everyone else has to be in an office. But now it's like that is more common with everybody. Yeah. So now I don't have, you know, writers are not the only ones that get to sit home in their PJs and work. I have, I have to, I have to do my first drafts outside. I don't know why it really, yeah, I have to go to a cafe and usually it's a corporate cafe. Like I live in the, I live like right by Los Feliz Silver Lake. So it's like the hip. Oh my God. That's where my daughter lives. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hip. You know, it, it. it's, it's just like you go to the cafes and you just want to look at people because you're just like, hi. So I go to the corporate cafes. I go to the places where I just, I'm going to be irritated when not the greatest people are going to be in there. And it's just like. You know, just a little more grimy because I can't go to intelligentsia. I'll just sit there for three hours and just smile. I can't have a smile for three hours. I need to work. Why even do it? Yeah, it's yeah. not productive. Yeah. Yeah. But you know yourself. You know, we all have our little things that we do to avoid writing or, you know, and I'm yeah. getting at sensing that, you know, like I have to turn off Wi Fi in the morning because otherwise. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, I really have to answer this email. It's important. Well, no, you, you know, the writing really has to be a priority. Yeah. And I, I also play online chess. So I have like, I'll get back on and I'll have my, my six games I'm doing. And I'll just like, be, you know, online. it's like, okay, once every hour, I'm just like, okay. Oh, I blundered. Oh, I blundered. I blunder on chess more than I blunder. I, how do you write and play chess at the same time? I would feel like that was so draining. Like all oh, my it's crazy just the next moves. It's not it's, going to my it's not full games. It's just the person played their move last night, you know, it's and then I play oh my, my game the next day. So it's just okay. Uh, I don't know. That makes my head hurt. Anything oh, it, like yeah. math oriented or chess type stuff. I just I don't know. It's it's just it's like stressful. yeah, it's just like the astrology classes and chess and stuff. It's like the esoteric of creating a story out of a piece of paper that turns into a best-selling novel is like pure magic. And, but we, we have to, we have to play with how to do that in our minds. We have to create that magic. And then, and then all of a sudden we see the page, we see the story, it opens up and I'm starting to see a chessboard now and open up and I go, why did he, why did he make that move? Oh, no, that's okay. I'm playing an amateur right now because you know he's not controlling the center of the board, and and I'm like, wait, I'm talking like that to myself in my head. I'm getting good, I think. <laughs> so it's wow. all wow, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Maybe you write a chess novel. No, <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty definitive about that. No, that's not in me. No, no. Um, no? Yeah, I, is it too boring? No, no, not at all. You know, you're. I I say no, but. Um, I started work on my next novel, but I'm doing one last rewrite on this one before I send it out to my agent oh who my will God. say, never, ever call me again. 
Oh, um, stop it. <laughs> hashtag cancel Tony. <laughs> no way. You know, um, you know I, the you, self-doubt. <laughs> you kidding? I Yes, yes. I, uh, uh, yeah, I bathe in it constantly. Um, but especially when you don't have an MFA, I think, you know, you doubt yourself a lot, but. I don't have, uh, I didn't even go to college. So, I mean, I, I wasn't, yeah, I barely graduated high school, but, um, wow. but I was, I also grew up in a weird religion that I couldn't go to college. And then, and then I just, got, I got insatiable about uh, novels in my late twenties. And then in my early thirties, I was like, ah, oh, I got to participate in this conversation. That's it. So Wow. That's very writerly to get obsessed like that. Don't you think? Yeah, it's I my my therapist was telling me about this because because I, I have this just insatiable desire to like kind of catch up on the world because I feel like I'm behind on everything because there's just cultural gaps in my life. And oh, um, because you grew up, yeah, not like you were talking about in a religion, yeah, yeah. I was a Jehovah's Witness, and so it's just like it was just very strict, really. So, yeah, oh, I'm fascinated by that. That's my first book. It's a love story set in the Jehovah's Witnesses. Wait, I need to. What's the name? <laughs> this I is, a, this is so douchey to plug it on my show. Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk. You know, first of all, you're not plugging it. I'm asking. <laughs> and it's your show. God, if anyone uh, can plug I, something. I didn't even put my last name on this show until like uh, five years ago. Um, but that yeah, there's a there's a movie too. There's the it's on the, the we got a movie out of it too. So they made a movie out of your book, Tony. Yeah, I got to write it. That's amazing. Eric Stoltz, Eric Stoltz directed it. Wait, and what? Where can I find this movie? As it's well? on Amazon, it's on Tubi, but I think I, and it's on like DVD and stuff if you want the uncut version. But I've always Eric. I mean, I I could talk forever about what a wonderful person Eric is, but. He got the he got Such the voice, yeah, and a, I mean, fantastic director. He's been directing for the last like fifteen years, so wow. I was uh, mostly TV. I was his first film, but um, it was uh, he got the vibe, and I just wanted a really screwed up after school special that you might find in Norway. That was like my whole thing. Ooh. Yeah, it's just like, I just wanted something a little off, but yeah. that was but you would get into it, and it's just like we did it. And I only and I never even told him the Scandinavian thing or the after school. I would never even said it. It's just we went in and the final cut, and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh man, we did it, dude!" So you went through that whole, you know, early success, the whole thing. I mean, how did you deal with that? Uh, lots of drinking. Checked myself into a hospital when I had suicidal ideations. <laughs> Yeah, why, that. Why though? I mean, with success. I was, I was. It was. Um, there was so much turmoil happening at the same time. Um, I was in a Jehovah's Witness marriage, and and the divorce happened right before the book was. Uh, I right before I sent it out. The, it's because it was of a the book? huge mess. Um, theoretically, so. Wow. So it was a lot of personal stuff too. I was, I was getting like, yeah, uh, psychic pounding from <laughs> the, yeah, it was, wow. but, it, but it all turned out great. Cause I'm like, that's when I, I, there's just, there's, it's not joy. I have no joy. Don't tell me that. 
Don't look with me. Don't look at me with happiness. No, I, I, I found joy in the struggle and joy in the, the love of this. So plus, I get to teach too, and that just means everything. So you teach as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how you have time for all of this, Tony. Oh, I only have one class a quarter or two classes a quarter. I keep it very minimal so I can work on my Ill, though. So was it hard for you to write your second book? Right. It was very hard for me to write. I wrote two second books and both of those I shelved. And then um, and then I was working on another script and then I was trying to write for the market. And then that's when everything kind of started to really swirl around. And I'm like, boom, stop writing for the market. And then the book I have now started as a script. And I went, oh, Ah, it's a book. I'm not going to make a penny off of this. Okay, it's a book. I get it. So it kind of, it showed itself to be a book. So I was just like, all right. But it what do you a- mean you won't make a penny off of it? Are screenplays more? I I just pretend like I make lots of money on screenplays and books. Uh, but it's, it's, essentially I live in Los Angeles and people just keep telling me, oh my God, that's got to be a screenplay. And I'm like, it's a novel. I'm sorry. It just, Sebastian's the main character and it's a novel and I got to take him through it as a novel. It's just a different route because, you know, if you get it published, then it can be a screenplay pretty easily. And that's all outcome. So I had, so that's when I have to get into my head and go, yes, of course I want the limited series on Netflix and the Emmy awards. Of course, that's all in the back of my mind, but can I get this chapter, you know, reworked tomorrow? Right. <laughs> the reality. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and maybe nobody wants this too. And that's totally fine too, because that's not, I'm in this for the process. I'm not in this for the outcome, but I'm creating stuff that can have an outcome. I feel like this has been therapy. Good. For me, yeah, for me, for me yeah. too. Yeah. Oh I, my God. Yes. You know, I think we don't as writers have enough, uh, opportunities to just talk to each other you know stuff like this and it really really helps yeah a lot of uh, people go what are your favorite um like book podcasts and i'm like well i don't know if i have a favorite but there's mine because it's the only one it's like i get to just what i want to hear from you if i'm listening to your podcast i'm just asking you the questions i'd want to hear just be relaxed. Well, it's the same thing with your book, right? I mean, it's the book you want to read, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I so think it, if you start with that, you know, I want to read that, then, you know, you're good. Yeah, exactly. And uh, no, that's the thing. I, it, it it made itself known to me. Beyond, I was, it just scares me. And my, th- my therapist goes, so what was the rewrite today? And I'm like, no, because you're going to mess me up because this is a creative process and we're dealing with me. So I'll tell you about that in two weeks from now when I'm not so messed up in the the scene work and it's gonna be like that's about you because and i'm like i know i know (laughs) for you though like setting boundaries don't you think that's a big part of it too uh yeah i've had to learn the boundary thing uh brutal boundaries brutal boundary tony (laughs) i thought it was tony cancer (laughs) that's my boxer name (laughs) uh it's my wrestling name martha thank you so much this has been a blast Thank you, Tony. You're the best. I hope you feel better.
Hall Kelly on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, The Golden Doves. Stay tuned for more author conversations. Send a note if you'd like to join the email list to shane at gmail.com. We're putting together book clubs, writing prompts, and tips, and so much more. Storytelling is my religion. I'm lucky I get to chat with storytellers every week. And if you're not a writer, maybe this is your time to start writing. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.